Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae has put millions back into the hands of Mississippi citizens, expanding the state's affordable college and career savings program and also returning record amounts of unclaimed money. Check out how Treasurer David McRae's office can help you, your business, or your organization. Treasury.ms.gov. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is Tuesday of Thanksgiving week here, Rhino. We made it. We have indeed. And uh, the big Thanksgiving holiday, of course, scheduled for just two days from today on Thursday. And it still looks like it's going to be a little soggy for Thursday. Yeah, the weatherman is doubling down on the wet stuff. Man, that means a wet egg bowl. Won't be the first time, (laughs) that's for sure. We shall see where all that uh, lands us. But it is probably that time won't of be year. the wettest egg bowl. Probably won't be the coldest, and probably won't be the wettest and coldest. But it might be miserable for some. Agree. The weather, however, has been rather favorable, has it not, for those searching for the deer? It's been pretty decent. Seen oh, a lot yeah. of people on social media posting their harvests, having some success in the woods. It's always fun to see the youngsters when they get their first buck, especially, huh? It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. So all that's going on, that's a big thing here in the state of Mississippi. And based on what we talked about last week with the explosion of the deer population, we seem to need to harvest a few. I counted 15 in a neighbor's yard a couple of days ago. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a sanctuary in their front yard. And they will devour some... uh, some of the more luscious plants. If oh, you, yeah. Pansies in particular are a favorite fall, cold-weather flower. But well, it's a debate. Some hunters believe it and some hunters are against it. But I'm in the camp where I, I sincerely believe that while they may not have meetings and communicate to each other in the way you would think, like Disney would make you think, but yeah. I'm convinced deer know when deer season is. <laughs> and they know where guns aren't allowed. Yeah. I, That's why I they're hanging to, out in neighborhoods and yeah. on highways and stuff. <laughs> in front of my vehicle on the road as well. An expensive proposition, I can tell you, when you strike an animal such as a deer. I saw one limping. I saw the golf course on number 14 the other day. We had about eight trotting across the fairway from one set of woods to another, and one was limping. I just wonder if maybe it was struck by a vehicle, possibly. 
Possibly. But it, I did notice that after it got going, it, it, I didn't detect the limp anymore. It's like it maybe had to work the paint out a little bit and get it going. But they typically Might have just on something. Yeah, I guess that's possible as well. They all look pretty healthy around here. I will say though, no doubt about it. Well, it looks like Joe Biden and um, jet-setting <laughs> climate czar John Kerry, they have once again joined in with the wokesters at uh, <laughs> the COP27 summit to give away the farm Reparations, climate change reparations for impoverished nations, developing nations. Guess who's exempt, though? China, of course. The nation who spews more carbon into the atmosphere than any other on the planet. No, they don't have to pay. That is the definition of insanity. The irony is, and so, by the way, many left the summit a bit disappointed that there wasn't more discussion and more resolution to end the consumption of fossil fuels. The irony is, those developing nations, those impoverished nations, if they were allowed to develop and leverage their abundance of fossil fuels underneath their feet, they wouldn't be poor. Anybody thought about that? No, no, no. You can't do that, impoverished nations. Here, have some money to make up for, for our, our exploitation of our resources in the name of capitalism. You know, that system which has lifted more people out of poverty than any others and created the wealth and the high standard of living we certainly enjoy here in this country. It all, you look at it. It all came about when innovative humans figured out, you know, this stuff under the ground here, this oil, this gas, hmm, we can turn that into energy. No energy, no economy. Seriously, if we had not done that, if we had not figured out how to innovate and use that abundant energy God has blessed us with, to power our world, we'd still be a third world country. That's just the truth. And once again, <laughs> Rhino, it's incumbency. See, all that's been done. Now we're all wealthy. Relatively speaking, even our poorest are wealthier than most of the average people in these nations where we're going to write a check. But without that, We'd be like them. But we can't let them use their own resources. No, no, no. Just here, have some money. Incumbency. It's transferism. And it's sad that I think so many people in this country are being brainwashed, particularly in our institutions of higher learning. The higher learning is that, hey, you got it great. You got internet, smartphones, TikTok. Right? I mean, it's in, you got a $50,000 a year education coming your way. And Joe Biden's going to forgive whatever loans you took out for that. 
In other words, you got a cushy dang life. Whereas the people in these countries, because of corruptness, because they have failed to adopt capitalism, they don't have any laws, and they've got corrupt regimes that steal what assets and resources they have. No, 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 that didn't have anything to do with it. It's us greedy capitalists push that carbon into the air, and that's what made them poor. <laughs> that's the theory. Also, it's, it's the guilt. They're, the left is masters, are they not, at gaslighting the guilt? Just gaslighting in general. In general. So the big thing now, of course, with the horrific event that happened at the LGBTQ club in Colorado Springs. No, obviously, no excuse for that. We, we could never condone any sort of violence. The left is, of course, blaming on those of us on the right who think that mutilating children's bodies with double mastectomies and hysterectomies on 13-year-olds, that's the problem. That's what incited the hate here. Again, we lack just basic, simple nuance and discernment. You're an adult. Whatever your sexual preference, orientation, lifestyle is, don't care. Really don't. You start uh, mutilating, is the word I'm looking for, mutilating the bodies of children, got to draw the line there. Because they're doing it without any medical, clinical reason. It's not like we got to eliminate the breasts on a young girl because having them poses some sort of clinical threat. No, no, no. It's just, it's stylish to the gender cult. It really is. It's fashionable. Yeah, look at me. I, my little girl, 12 years old. Not anymore. She's a little boy. Or at least we're trying to make them such. That's why I liken it to lobotomies. It truly is. It's and it's become. It has become a cult. It's it's freakish. Honestly, you don't have to spend a lot of time, folks. If you're interested, and I did this last night. You go looking around at the children's hospitals in this country. Prestigious, prominent, highly respected children's hospitals. And this gender-affirming programs that they just are promoting front and center as a big, big service line for them now, it's nuts. And what they say about it, and by the way, as they're getting exposed, many are expunging some of the information on their websites. That's been revealed as well. And some of the stuff happening in our schools, I'll share some of that when we come back. Don't find any evidence of it happening in Mississippi, where, by the way, we now have a new superintendent of education. But stuff like that has a tendency to permeate and invade. We got Aaron Rice, the director of the Mississippi Justice Institute, coming up at 11.05. We're going to talk about the same-sex marriage bill that passed the Senate last week. Coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
are back in the Element Well Studio, Super Talk Mississippi. The ceasefire tax line, 601-879-4395. Once again, Aaron Rice, director of the Mississippi Justice Institute, joins middays at 11.05. And Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Mississippi host. He hosts Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors. He's coming on at 12.20. We're going to discuss the continuing saga that is Elon Musk and Twitter. It is rather entertaining, at a minimum. Ricky's well, up. I mean, without Twitter, you wouldn't have had the insanity that was Lane Kiffin last night. How about that? You you were tracking that? It's crazy. Uh, off and on. Honestly, I don't know what to think. I I, re- I don't think anybody knows. He's uh, I I know of at least one party that is enjoying all of the attention. Who's that? Uh, Lane's agent. <laughs> no doubt about it. Winners no matter what, right? Yep. Going to get their percent no matter what? No matter what. Well, so you had a, uh, you saw what happened, right? A reporter in Columbus, WCBI, same reporter that broke the story, I think first, that Cohen, John Cohen, former athletic director at Mississippi State University, was headed to Auburn, which he did. He broke last night. Lane Kiffin is... Headed to Auburn as well. We'll announce, I believe, the day after the Egg Bowl, Friday, uh, which would be the day after the last regular season game, that he's headed there. And But Kiffin, who is uh, enjoys a little tweeting himself, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he came back and said that was news to me. It was the first thing he said. And then tweeted out a, a spoof of the tweet talking about the reporter, saying that the reporter has decided to step down and we're moving to another position. <laughs> right. Having some fun. Yeah. Nobody knows, uh, seriously, at this point. Uh, we shall see. It's a, it is a high-stakes chess game, I think it's fair to say. College... Uh, and like everything, it's it's got some people... Taking out the tinfoil and shaping it into a hat. <laughs> Shiny side out. Big time. Oh, gosh. No doubt about it. Big time. Uh, they are. I don't know what to think, honestly. And I've I've checked with some sources that are fairly close, and they don't know either. I don't know that anybody does, including athletic director Keith Carter. Not sure if Keith knows, who, by the way, listens to this program every now and then. He may be listening now. If you know something there, Keith, let us <laughs> send me a text and let us know. Wow. We'll pull out the breaking news music for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hadn't heard that in a while. So this, uh, this radical gender ideology that is sweeping this nation, this is, it's, it's a cult. And again, I don't care about that in the adult realm. But with children, no. It is insane. It's sick. It's borderline ghoulish. It's predatory. So there's this clothing line, Balenciaga. And they got exposed for publishing some 
really creepy ads on Instagram, which is a place where a lot of these sorts of companies do advertise quite a bit. And it, apparently it's effective or they wouldn't spend their money on it. And I'm looking at it, and it's a, it's a young girl. I'm going to say she's three, four, and she's holding a teddy bear. There's two of them. They're holding teddy bears, and the teddy bears are dressed in what truly does appear to be bondage gear. In the advertisement, bondage. Now, what is up with this? It's two little girls. I'm looking at it, holding teddy bears, and they're in this, you know, chained up leather stuff that just straps, you know, around various parts of the body. Are they, like, encouraging this sort of... It's pedophilia. It's nuts. Uh, this company, Balenciaga, they're also getting called out for an ad that features one of their purses that is atop a stack of documents. And one of those documents, if you look real closely, is a uh, the, the text of a lawsuit involving pedophilia, where the Supreme Court did, in fact, hold that, yeah, pedophilia is a crime. It's even crazy to me that it had to go that far. But there's some people in this country, as you know, there's been a push for a while, even within the... I guess the psychiatric community, or is it psychological community? I'm not sure. One of those scientific communities that studies the brain and human nature and so forth has tried to, like, rationalize and justify what is really pedophilia. Now, that's been going on for a while. They're trying to normalize it, sanction it. Nothing wrong with that. It's just unbelievable yeah, and they've styled them as maps, minor attractive that's people. Right. That's right. So if you zoom in close to this ad, you can see that lawsuit. Like, what is that all about? Now, the company says, no, 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 we're, we're not really interested in that. We're not really paying any attention to that lawsuit. Well, why is there a copy of it sitting underneath this purse? Doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but it's this is sweeping the country. It's it's disturbing. It's a war on innocence. Children deserve to live a life where they are isolated from all these adult topics and these thorny issues. But if you look across the country, there's just example after example of it. A Kentucky summer camp, I read, teaches sex liberation, BDSM, and self-pleasure to minors in a, in a Kentucky summer camp. This is, of course, nuts. This is insane. Radical gender lessons for young children. Here's another one. Evanston-Skokie, Illinois School District adopts a curriculum that teaches K-3 through students to break the binary of gender. Why do you have to talk about that to kindergartners? Because their logic doesn't hold up to conversations with adults, so you got to brainwash the naive. 
I think you're right. So this is why they're so interested in, in quashing free speech, because they know the argument. It doesn't stand the scientific test. And anybody that dissents with it and disagrees with it, you just can't say anything. So the, <laughs> this crazy... I mean, just look at how they've attacked the author of Harry Potter for, yeah. for being a feminist. For standing out and stepping up to the plate and saying, look, this trans ideology is putting women in danger, or at the very least making them feel uncomfortable in what used to be safe spaces. And she's attacked for being transphobic. Well, it's no different than... And even. she's simply espousing an idea that was commonplace on the left a decade and a half ago. I saw a reporter, to your point, on MSNBC that said that once again, attributed the shooting in Colorado Springs to those on the right who were speaking out against this. They say they hate LGBTQ people. No, I, I'm not seeing that. What I'm seeing is clear-thinking people saying, this is not appropriate for children. And so they have taken that narrative and hijacked it and morphed it and distorted it to mean... The right just hates LGBTQ people. I just don't see that. Well, that's because to the left, unless you are 100% lockstep in line with bleeding heart liberalism, then you hate it. You're against it. You fear it. Well, they think they're mind readers, but they're actually just projecting their own insecurities. That's exactly what it is. No doubt about it. It is they who are insecure in their own skins. And this is the way... They, they deal with it. This is the way they navigate it and process it. When we come back, this Evanston-Skokie School District, i got to talk to you about what's in this curriculum for K-3 through third graders, part of the Chicago Area District's LGBTQ plus equity week. I'm so sick of that equity deal. I really am. I'm sick of it. Life ain't fair. You're not entitled to equal outcomes. That's what they want. Coming back on midday. Stay with us. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. On midday, Super Talk Mississippi, we are in the Element Well Studios today. Don't forget, coming up on November the 30th, that would be next week, Middays and Good Things with Rebecca Turner will be live Wednesday, November 30th in downtown Cleveland, celebrating their beautiful display of 50 Nights of Lights 
where over a million lights transform Cleveland into a winter wonderland this holiday season. Now through January 1st, you can view the lights by walking down the trail or by driving, and it's free. Looking forward to that. We'll be up in Cleveland, Mississippi. So, back to some of this crazy stuff that's going on uh, in our in our schools. So, the NEA, which is an evil organization, honestly, the National Education Association, they've got unbelievable assortment of tools for educators to implement LGBTQ plus inclusive sex ed and curriculum in uh, the classroom. So I'm just looking at the resource toolkit here, Rhino, and the links that an educator can access. BIPOC, bullying, coming out, gender identity, hate crimes, parenting, sex education, transgender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just unbelievable that this sort of stuff... I mean, there's nothing in that list about how to teach, I don't know, math and science and reading and history. Civics, how about that? You heard Senator Angela Hill last week on the program when we were in Columbia. She wants to pass a law, pass a bill, enact it that would require high school students to pass a basic civics exam before they are conferred a degree, a diploma from high school. We do it with folks who become complete the training and the requisite tests to become citizens of this country. It's kind of sad, isn't it, that those who come from other countries and then go through the citizenship process to become American citizens know more about our institutions, our government, our civics process than native citizens do. That's sad. In the meantime, the National Teachers Union has created a website and a badge. You can earn a badge for public school employees that promote non-binary identities, a how-to guide for queer sex, and the idea that transgender men can get pregnant. This is who's in charge of education in this country. One of the resources, by the way, on the site that I was just describing that had all the links listed, it's for teen health, quote, queering sexual education, which promises to empower youth and includes a how-to guide for performing anal sex, bondage, rimming, domination, sadomachism, masochism. masochism, pardon me, muffing and fisting. And with incredibly, extremely graphic materials. This is nuts. This is insane. This is sick. These are freaks. Now, the NEA is the largest teachers' union in the country. Three million members, 14,000 school districts. I'm looking at some of the screens and the documents. It's unbelievable. 
Unbelievable. I, I'm calling on our legislators to be preemptive here. Again, I've not heard any examples of this sort of nonsense in Mississippi schools, but I, I think our legislature ought to be preemptive. And that's essentially what Florida did with Governor DeSantis's bill that the left was outraged about, called it the don't say gay bill, which not true, it's not what it says. But they have to hijack it and distort it, the truth, because their argument against it really doesn't hold any water. There's no valid justification for teaching kindergartners sexual identity and gender dysphoria and all that sort of stuff. Just none. And there's certainly no justification, especially with lack of clinical reason, to start taking apart small human bodies, which is what they're doing. It's incredible that that's even happening in this country. It's sad. So there's the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, arguably one of the most prestigious, respected children's hospitals in the country, referred to as CHOP for short. And there was uh, some questions about the hospitals performing mutilation, is what it is, on children's bodies in the name of gender-affirming care. And the Children's Hospital, someone named Nadia Dauschen, issued a statement I'm not aware of existing literature, but it, is, it certainly is happening. This was a question about stuff that was on their website promoting it. I think we've had more than 10 patients who have had chest surgery under 18, in parentheses, as young as 15, and bottom surgery, we've had 17. That's just incredible that this is happening in children's hospitals. How about this from the University of California at San Francisco Hospital? Genital surgery is being performed on a case-by-case -case basis more frequently in minors. In the absence of solid evidence, providers often must rely on the expert opinions of innovators and thought leaders in the field. So you don't need any clinical reason. You don't need any medical reason to mutilate small bodies. Just what you think. A thought leader. What is that? What's a thought leader on tearing apart and butchering a child's body? What kind of thought leader is that? What are they thought leaders of? Barbaricism? <laughs> Barbarism? <laughs> I don't get it. But that's happening in this country. We've got to be vigilant and make sure that, that stays, this crap stays out of the classrooms in Mississippi. Again, I've not heard of it, but I think we've got to be preemptive. Because there's too many examples of this happening, and it's in red states too.
It's not just in the deep blue states. Too many examples. And it is a sick cult, in my view, when, you, when you're thrusting this down the, the throats and the impressionable minds of youngsters, kindergartners. I, I, can't, I can't comprehend it. You've got plenty of time as you grow up to be exposed to just things that are hard to process and that are non-traditional, non-mainstream. And that's fine. Deal with that as an adult. But not as a kindergartner, as a third grader. No. No place for that. And the folks doing it, you're despicable. You're satanic. You're sick freaks, is what you are. Leave it alone. I don't care how you live your lifestyle. If that's how you, you care to live it, fine. No problem as an adult. Just don't shove it down everybody else's throats. Really sick of that. You're not helping yourself, by the way. You're not helping your cause. Just go live your life. Leave everybody else alone. And, you know, we shouldn't thrust our lifestyles on them, honestly. We, we should live in a free society where you're free to choose, but not when it comes to minors. They're not at the point where they can make those decisions and deal with these extremely sensitive issues and do things that are irreversible. And there are countless examples of those who got sucked in, up into this crap because of their stupid irresponsible parents, and now their lives are, to a great extent, ruined. When we come back, there was a, a rather interesting email that went out in a Tupelo-based furniture company that's not really good around Thanksgiving. Coming back to talk about that in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Ever in a pro tune there. And the only safe place to live is on the So before I get to this situation with United Furniture and Tupelo, just to kind of finish out this radical gender ideology topic, it's not surprising, Rhino, that most of the rationale provided by these districts that are implementing this crap. It, it, they all have the same theme, and here's, here's a statement from the Portland School District, Portland, Oregon. The premise is simple. Privileged white heterosexuals have created an oppressive gender system in order to dominate racial and sexual minorities. The curriculum explains that gender is colonized. There's that stupid word again. And Western societies have used language to erase alternative sexualities. 
Quote, when white European people colonized different places, they brought their own ideas about gender and sexuality. Radical. You know, that there are only two genders. When the United States was colonized by white settlers, their views around gender were forced upon the people already living here. Forced them on the Indians? Were they like into transgenderism or something? That's news to me. Hundreds of years later, how we think and talk about gender are still impacted by the shift. Unbelievable. We make certain, this is a quote from the Portland School District, we make certain that our curriculum is LGBTQ plus inclusive for students who identify as transgender, gender nonconforming, gender queer, and queer to create a safe and inclusive environment for all of our students. Ugh, I'm so sick of words I don't want to hear again. Colonize, equity, unless it's talking about my equity in a company. <laughs> um... Inclusive? I don't want to hear that anymore. You colonizers. What could be worse than colonizing? Good gosh. I just All laugh right. whenever they get the privilege. The privilege. I, just, I start laughing and stop listening at that point. <laughs> you mean the privilege in that virtually every public sector entity in this country, and now private sector, gives preferential advantageous treatment Two minorities. Every single damn one does. There's no doubt. I've talked about it with respect to the city of Jackson, where we are. Their whole procurement process is built around that. That's why it's all screwed up. And now you've got Ivy League schools withdrawing from the rankings of the top schools in the country just so they don't have to release their demographic breakdown, so they don't have to actually show anybody that they're discriminating against Asian Americans. Yep. And last week, by the way, last Friday, the American Bar Association, following suit with the American Medical Association, two of the most liberal, woke entities in this country, they announced and voted on a 15-to-1 basis, did the ABA. They are recommending to law schools across this country to discontinue using the LSAT, the law school uh, admissions test, and scores thereof for entry and, and consideration in the admissions process to a law school. They say that it discriminates against people of color. You know the law, like to a test on the law and your proficiency of it, that's discriminatory. So we can't do it anymore. That's their idea of equity. It's the because merit-based testing doesn't match the narrative they want to push. No doubt. All right, so United Furniture Industries. This is a statement. I'll go ahead and read it. This was released twelve thirty or so a.m. Right? Do you understand? Yeah, it's an email night. that went to all employees. Well, the first email went out saying, "Don't show up to work tomorrow," and okay. then that was retracted and followed by this, this email. Okay. And, and this is what many of the employees woke up to this morning. Every the, employee. Every employee, right. Except for drivers on delivery who are told There's an to, exception, yeah. to turn around and drop it off. And yep. At the instru I'm reading. At the instruction of the Board of Directors of United Furniture Industries and all subsidiaries, the company, in parentheses, that's legalese, 
We regret to inform you that due to unforeseen business circumstances, the company has been forced to make the difficult decision to terminate the employment of all its employees, effective immediately on November 21, 2022, with the exception of over-the-road drivers that are out on delivery. Your layoff from the company is expected to be permanent, and all benefits will be terminated immediately without provision of COBRA. Over-the-road drivers that are out on delivery will be paid for the balance of, of the week. Whether or not you have completed your delivery, please immediately return equipment, inventory. You get the you get the gist of the message there. So, so abrupt like that, I can only guess they were hoping for some sales improvement. They knew this was coming. The sales improvement didn't occur. They're out of money, can't pay the bills, and they're letting everybody go. That's all. I mean, that's just speculation on my part at this point. It's really sad uh, right here before Thanksgiving. Our heart goes out to those. And good news is there are plenty of jobs available in the area, and I hope they all get great and better jobs. Coming back with Aaron Rice after the break. And now, and now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Midday, Super Talk Mississippi Live from the Element Wealth Studios, Thanksgiving week across the Fruited Plain. And joining us now, Aaron Rice, the director of the Mississippi Justice Institute. Aaron, thanks for coming on. Always good to see you. Yeah. Hey, Gerard. Thanks for having me. So you and I chatted a bit last week, right, uh, well, in the wake of the procedural vote that really cleared the path for passage of the Respect for Marriage Act, yeah, and I sent a couple of uh, of tweets from the Twitterverse yeah. to you that I had seen that, and I just wondered if if they were accurate in yeah. their representation of what this possibly could mean should it go on to pass the House. Likely, it will. It appears yeah. at this point, and then uh, be signed by the president and become law. So, one of the tweets that I had sent you said that um, this is a direct assault, the the tweeter said, this is a direct assault on families, marriage, and religious freedom. And the concern, of course, is that this would open the door for, quote, Big Brother to force everyone, including religious organizations, to affirm same-sex marriage, polygamy, and more. Yeah. But then you sent me the screenshot of a provision in the bill. Yeah. Which is totally counter to that, and in yeah. fact, expressly says it won't do that. Yeah. So here, here we go. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of concerns out there. You know, one thing I've learned, Gerard, kind of being around the public policy world, is that a lot of times you have people who are deeply concerned about something in a piece of legislation, and you know, it may seem overblown to you, but what you learn when you talk to those folks a lot of times is that it's a sincere concern of theirs. Yeah. And so I, I do think a lot of times, you know, the best thing you can do if it's not going to undermine. The legislation is to try to address those. I think this bill, uh, as it stands, 
has tried to address those concerns. So, you know, in general, what the what the uh, Respect for Marriage Act does is it really tells the states that you have to respect other states' marriage laws. Even for purposes of federal law, it doesn't define marriage. It says the federal government will recognize any marriage that was validly in, entered into in any state. Hmm. And then it tells the states that they have to do the same. They have to respect, you know, the marriages that are entered into in other states. That's constitutional. Uh, uh, Congress has the authority to do that under Article 4, Section 1 of the Constitution. You and I have talked a lot about um, federalism and, and wanting states to be able to, you know, be laboratories of democracy, and that's very important. But, you know, we also live in, in one country, and you don't want people to cross state lines. You know, me leave Mississippi and go to Alabama, and all of a sudden I'm not married anymore. Or somebody be able to, you know, litigate custody of their kids, lose, and then parentally kidnap their kids and go to another state and relitigate custody there. And so we, we, uh, we want, you know, in some ways for there to be dependability across state lines on, on legal acts and Congress is is authorized to to set that and say how they're going to be you know uh, established in other states and so that's kind of what it does but to your point polygamy and all that the bill expressly says that polygamy is not recognized it defines it the only way it really defines it other than uh, deferring to the states is to say that it's it's two individuals um, and you know there are uh, protections for religious liberty in the bill it, it, it says that you know that it expressly states that there you know are respectable views on all sides and that uh, people are accorded respect for those views and uh, one thing I think has led to a lot of confusion here actually I had to dig in to kind of understand where some of this confusion was coming from it's actually the silence in the bill. Uh, there is that provision, like I said, that says that, and there's other provisions that say IRS tax-exempt status won't be pulled from churches or other religious organizations. Religious organizations, you know, and nonprofits don't have to provide goods or services. Think of cake baking and yeah. all of that. Yeah. So you've got all that in there. But then there's also just the silence of the bill is something that, that does more because we have a thing called the, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act federally, mm-hmm. and it applies to any law that Congress passes unless that law explicitly carves it out and says RIFRA does not apply to this, the Re- Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And so the fact that the bill doesn't mention RIFRA actually means that those protections are incorporated into the bill by virtue of its silence. So okay. I think that's some of where the concern may come from. Now, I'll I'll tell you too. I mean, I've seen criticisms that say, "Well, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is not enough protection." You may have seen Senator Mike Lee has introduced a bill that would go further and, and say, you know, it's like the defense of the First Amendment Act or something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um, you know, really, the biggest difference between those two, what Mike Lee is trying to do and what the Religious Freedom Restoration Act already does is that Mike Lee's amendment would give what's called a private right of action to people who are discriminated against based on their religious views. And a private right of action just means they can sue. And, and I, you know, I think that's a valid criticism. I mean, I, 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 that's one criticism I've had of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in the past is that it does not give a private right of action to people who are discriminated against. You're basically relying on the government to, to respect that law. So, you know, there's some nuance there. But in general, you know, we can keep talking and talking I, after looking at all of this, I think a lot of the concern is really not about what is in this bill, because this bill says, you know, we're going to respect religious liberty. We're not going to take your tax exempt status. We're not going to force you to, you know, to celebrate a wedding or, or any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think what people are really concerned about is, well, this bill doesn't authorize it, but since Congress is now going to be or the federal government is going to be recognizing same sex marriages, we're concerned that 
some other uh, agency. So, for example, the IRS might on its own. And look, we have seen this from the Biden administration time and time again, this kind of lawlessness, overreaching, not not caring if it's constitutional or not, not caring if it flies in the face of congressional you know, statutes or not. And so I think a lot of the concern is really just that, you know, the federal government is going to be, you know, in some fashion recognizing same-sex marriages and which is really already the case we haven't even talked about that the supreme court is already in the obergefell decision you know made that the law of the land so all of this is really kind of a moot point in a lot of ways but i think the concern is more from people thinking of kind of conjuring up monsters down the road of well what if the irs starts saying okay well federal law recognizes same-sex marriage this church doesn't do that and so we're going to punish them by taking their tax-exempt status now this bill does not authorize that it says that but the fear i think is more that the agency will just do it on its own or you know other other agencies will do things like that and mike lee in his statement after the procedural vote that that pretty much is what he said yeah. that he was concerned that it didn't go far enough yeah. to protect Absolutely. Uh, organizations that uh, may not recognize it or may not want to engage or participate, yep. that they shouldn't uh, be punished in, in insofar as losing their tax-exempt status, et, et cetera. But who can forget uh, Lois Lerner uh, yeah. during the Obama administration, testifying on the Hill very smugly, arrogantly, and defiantly, as I recall, where she was engaged in her own her own little political ideology with respect to approving or rejecting Absolutely. applications for tax exempt status. If if you were on the right and you were affiliated with any yeah. sort of Tea Party movement, which was uh, really prevalent at the time, you don't get it. And she. Uh, denied it, of Abs- course. Absolutely. But it was happening. It was happening. And so what I would say to that is I agree with Mike Lee. I mean, if 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 we you know, if Congress could and there were the votes to add these stronger protections that Mike Lee wants to add. And again, really the main difference there, I read his amendment, it's it's very similar language to what's already in the bill. The main difference is it gives a private right of action, so it allows you to sue over I this. S- I see. And so, you know, but if um if the votes were there, I would, I would fully support that. I think it's a good idea to, to give people that confidence. And and I will say another difference is it goes beyond the bill and says nothing in federal law will authorize this to happen anywhere. And so yeah. that would maybe constrain the IRS and other agencies more. So I think those would be good things. But what I would say, too, is even if that doesn't get incorporated, which it looks like it will not, you know, the the bill itself does not put any of this in jeopardy. And, of course, we can always – you know, fear about what might happen, what rogue, a rogue agency might do, or what other some other law might do. But in terms of what is actually in this bill, it doesn't do any of those things. And yeah. so I, I don't really see, you know, a lot of, of uh, uh, concern in the bill itself. Of course, I can't predict what may happen down the road. But, you know, again, uh, this is really already the law of the land. We've got the Obergefell right. decision. And so in some ways, this is an improvement for religious persons on the status quo. I mean, right now you have Obergefell that doesn't say anything about religious liberty. I mean, there's a throwaway line in there, but it, it doesn't have any teeth or, or enforcement ability. Now, by this being codified with these religious liberty protections in it, if you're someone who's concerned about religious exercise, this bill is actually better than what we are under right now, which is a Supreme Court opinion that has no ability to enforce any of those religious protections. Yeah, and do you not feel like, to some extent, Aaron, that this was, in fact, driven by, and perhaps the uh, the Roe case was a Absolutely. catalyst for this? This is what this is all about. Absolutely. That's exactly what it's about. I think that that is completely overblown. The justices went 
out of their way time and time again to say in the Dobbs opinion that this is going to have no uh, no effect on any other right, any other 14th Amendment right. We're not overruling any of that. And so I, I think that's absolutely an overblown concern, but that is where it's coming from, is the left is saying, look, these rights are under attack. We need to codify things that we've won in the courts that we never got passed through Congress. Right. We need to go ahead and do that now so if the courts strike down these other laws, we've got some, a backup. And it's what they seek with respect to uh, Roe as well. Yeah. In fact, Joe Biden said it's his top priority. Absolutely, to codify they maintained uh, which control. Would be a massive mistake. You and I have talked about yep. how this should be back at the state yep. level. Abortion should be back at the state level. Yep. All right, we're stepping aside for a break right here. When we come back, I got to ask you about uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints reaction. Yep. They made a statement on this as well. The Mormon Church. We're coming right back. We've got Aaron Rice from the Mississippi Justice Institute in the Element Well Studios. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Oh, yeah, you got to have a little pang <laughs> as we approach uh, Thanksgiving. Okay, so we got Aaron Rice from the uh, director of the Mississippi Justice Institute. We've been talking about the Respect for Marriage Act, which attempts to codify uh, recent Supreme or a Supreme Court case. It was from the yeah, 2011. Yeah, or I, I, I like think that. a little bit later, maybe 15. Uh, 15 sounds yeah. right. And yeah. when what you're thinking before that, uh, 11 or around there was the Windsor case, which struck okay. down part of the Defense of Marriage Act, which did kind of the opposite of what the Respect for Marriage Act okay. does. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh it's interesting. It's interesting legislation for sure. Um, the 12 Republicans. Did support it, making yep. making it uh, past the threshold for cloture yep. uh, on legislation such as this, which does require filibuster-proof supermajority. Yeah. That's how this came about. So here's what the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as the Mormon Church, this is what they said. They released this statement on uh, November 15th, right after, I think, the legislation uh, passed the Senate. The doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints related to marriage between a man and a woman is well known and will remain unchanged. We are grateful for the continuing efforts of those who work to ensure the Respect for Marriage Act includes appropriate religious freedoms, protections, while respecting the law and preserving the rights of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We believe this approach is the way forward, etc., etc. So basically what they're saying is, and they made some further clarification on that, as I recall, Aaron. They said, while we as a church, a, a body, our doctrine says we believe that marriage is uh, in the eyes of God mm -hmm. and in, in accordance with our faith and our doctrine between a man and a woman. However, we believe we don't believe that that should govern the nation. We're, we're a faith institution, yeah. and that, in fact, we support the idea of freedom and liberty for people to marry however they want. Yeah. 
and that's why they were on board. So yeah. I, I'm at least impressed that they they recognized that critical discernment. There. Absolutely, and I've seen uh, other uh, Protestant dom- denominations come out same in the thing. same way. And yeah. you know, I mean, I, I think just in general, um, I mean that that you know, just like you said, it covers a lot of ground there. I mean, we are a plur- pluralistic society. We've got people of different faiths, no faith, Christianity, other things. And uh, and we do. We have to decide. You know, in, in our civil law, are we going to import you know a certain religious view into that? And and generally speaking, we don't do that here right. in America. And so, you know, I I, I completely understand how uh, of people of faith, especially in these times. You know, we've talked about this before. I mean, you, you almost see a persecution of faith in a lot of ways. And and I will say, the United States Supreme Court has, uh, especially this current majority, has been very solid on religious freedom I and mean, I'm glad to see that and that's one thing that gives me comfort about where we're going from here with this mm-hmm. with this bill um, but you know I, I, I completely understand you know those concerns it's like you said I, I was listening to you before I got on and you were saying you know the left acts like conservatives hate LGBTQ people and that's not the case and we just you know don't show it down our face or not even just that you know there's concerns about children and all these things and I, I think that's true I mean I don't think anybody you know hates LGBTQ I shouldn't say anybody but but you know reasonable people don't feel that way about it and um, and you know they really have concerns about how it's going to impact their life and if you can assure them that look we're not going to persecute you we're not going to make you bake the cake or do anything that violates your religion then i think most people are okay and uh you know and and i think a lot of people too i mean i i per- you know certainly in my own life can say that if i think of all the things that that bring me joy and happiness and peace and comfort in my life i mean my marriage is by far and away number 1 i mean sure. nothing else comes close to that and and so you know even if uh, you know certain uh, religious people think well that's not necessarily how I view marriage or or it's you know it's not how my religion defines it I think a lot of people are, are also fine saying look but if if you want to lead your life in a different way and you want to have you know it's it kind of goes back to the debate about in, in gay marriage early on in the debate people talked about things like civil unions well maybe can we come up with just something called a civil union. But I think the motivation for that has always been that people have recognized, look, I may not agree with it, but I, I'm not, I don't want to tell you how to live your life. We're in a pluralistic society, you know, and, and I know that my marriage brings you happiness. If you can find something that, that does the same for you, then power to you. Well, doesn't this really uh, call attention to the discussion of whether or not the government ought to be involved in marriage whatsoever? I, absolutely. I mean, I, that's something I've always thought a lot about. I mean, back when, you know, same-sex marriage first kind of got in, into a heated debate going back 10, 15 years ago, one of the thoughts I had is, why don't we just get out the government out of the marriage business, you know? And, and you know, in a lot of ways, I think you could do that. I mean, it, it's not necessarily, you know, something that needs to be, you know, approved by the government. I mean, it's it could be a contract, yeah. you know? Um, uh, one thing that complicates that is that our laws have... Right intertwined with marriage so much. I mean, there's tax exemptions for marriage, you know, insurance, insurance, there's death benefits, you know, there's inheritance, all kind of things, kind of it's property. It's an institution that's been around for millennia. That's right. And until recently was only defined in a certain way across countries, across time, you know, throughout world history. And so it, it is a little bit hard to just uproot that overnight. But I do agree in principle that that that's one avenue there to continue to look at is do we really need it to be the government that kind of puts a stamp of approval yeah, on this? That, that's right. And so, you know, the liberty side of me says, 
Well, sure, if, if uh, same sexes want to get married or whatever, however they define themselves yeah. from a gender perspective, I got no issue with that. Yeah. But on the other hand, I don't want the government saying, because in my church or my organization or whatever the case may be, uh, it, it, it does not jive with or it conflicts with my religious views. I don't want the government coming in and telling me, no, you got to provide service or Absolutely. recognize that, perform marriages. No, that's, that's overstatement. Or your church is going to lose their tax exempt status. That's crazy. And again, for the listeners, that is not in this bill. Right. But, you know, I, I do think that's the concern. And we have seen that over and over again. And it's usually it's not been the federal government doing this uh, uh, on a lot of these cases. But you see, you know, Colorado will pass some anti-discrimination law and, sa- and that says, you know, you have to provide goods and services and all of that. And somebody will say, well, I don't want to you know, bake a unique custom cake celebrating, you know, a uh, uh, same-sex marriage that goes against my religious beliefs, and yes. then they're taken all the way to the United States Supreme Court over it, and then the same thing over and over again. There's a website designer right now that's, that's facing the same thing, and, and we've seen a lot of these cases, and so what I will say, again, to be clear, that is not in this bill, that is not authorized by this bill, but I completely see how people have a good-faith concern about... Sure. Where does this all lead? We're already feel like we're under attack in a lot of these ways. We're being persecuted in a lot of these ways. Is this just going to add to that? And what I can tell you is this bill that's being passed does not add to that. In fact, it makes things better. Yeah. It has explicit recognitions for religious liberty. It, it says in the very first par- paragraph that that or maybe the second paragraph that people hold reasonable views on this and they're informed by religion and philosophy and all kind of things and that's fine and that's accorded that should be accorded respect by the federal government and so in a lot of ways it's an improvement but my point being again those those kind of concerns are not in this bill but I do understand how people have concerns about what might happen down the road yeah because at the heart of this we have experience we've seen this happen uh, in the past where these agencies do have rogue ideologues Absolutely. in charge. Absolutely. And and they go out and, and essentially they're they're weaponizing their agencies to yep. fit their ideological yep. agenda. Yep. And uh, this is something that we should all push back on, of course, and be concerned about. It should be a situation where we don't have to worry about that yeah. because they're going to follow the law. Yes. And we've but already you, learned that they don't. You, you can't count on that. And the, the flagrant violation of law by the Biden administration has really been shocking to me. But I will say this, if it's comfort to the listeners, too, again, that that one thing that does give me some assurance about that is that, first of all, like I said, RFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, does apply to this. That essentially makes it very hard in court for the government to uphold that kind of, to win on a case like that if they were trying to do that. And I'll just tell you, if I was the IRS, for example, and I was going to march into federal court and try to convince a judge that our unilateral regulation that we passed at the IRS that revokes tax-exempt status for religious organizations because they refuse to recognize same-sex marriages or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at this bill that says in right up top that Congress says that it's okay for people to hold those views and they should be accorded respect. And I know that I've got the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to contend with that basically tells the courts, look, the government has to have a very compelling reason to do something that impinges on somebody's religious freedom, and they have to use what's called the narrowest, you know, narrow tailoring. They have to, you know, use the the most limited means possible to accomplish that. And I'm the lawyer going into court. I'm not feeling good about that case. Now, again, that's not to say it couldn't happen, but there there are protections there, and, and, and a lot of them, you know, would would work in the court system. Yeah. Well, this is fascinating, and, and uh, Aaron, really appreciate you coming in and uh, breaking that down for yeah, us. Yeah, no problem. Because it, it's, 
It's complicated. It is complicated. Uh, at a minimum, and I think most people, clear-thinking people, say, yeah, if they want to engage in, in marriage and they're same-sex, I don't have a problem with that, but just don't force it on me yeah. as a religious institution or a company, et cetera. Just leave me alone. And I, I think this bill is trying to do that. I, I, and, you know, again, none of us can predict the future, but nothing in this bill is aimed at forcing it down other people's throats or forcing them to, to you know, celebrate it or anything like that. Good to know, and we shall see, because it, it appears, at least at this point, it's going to pass. Yeah. Appreciate it, Aaron. Thanks for coming yep. on, Good man. talking to you, Talk Gerard. to you soon. Sure yep. thing. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well Studios at 1220. It's Ricky Matthews. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. So what do you think the most searched slang terms are this year? I honestly have no idea. Karen. (laughs) (laughs) And woke. You can believe that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Karen and woke. That's crazy. (laughs) Totally crazy. Uh, but I, yeah, I can absolutely believe that. Totally believe that. So, in the state of Mississippi here, we have a new superintendent of education. I'm certain you have uh, seen that at this point. That decision was made by the Board of Education yesterday. They had uh, a meeting, special meeting, the board did. At Butler Snow Law Firm. Not really sure why they had the meeting up there. But they did, and they selected a new uh, superintendent. The uh, superintendent's name is Dr. Robert Taylor. And I believe he is a Southern Miss alum. Been in the education industry for some 30 years. As a began his career as a teacher's assistant in uh, the Magnolia State, and then moved on to North Carolina as a teacher, principal, superintendent, district superintendent, state education leader. Most recently, he served as the deputy state superintendent for the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. He'll take over in late January 23. Um. You know, I, I don't know much about Dr. Taylor. I did uh, conduct a little bit of research, just kind of high level. One thing I learned, and this may or may not mean anything with respect to performance of the job of superintendent of education, but he is a registered Democrat. Now, that may not mean anything, of course. But I guess... Here's the thing that I'm concerned about, Rhino, is that we've gotten so polarized in this country such that there's so little overlap between the parties and the philosophy of the role of government 
and on all, uh, virtually every major issue, there's conflict. There's lack of congruence. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that if you're a registered Democrat these days, I would assume that you're totally on board with the entire Democrat agenda. And I'm not sure there's a single aspect of that which I agree with, whether it's economic policy or uh, other social issues, foreign policy. I'm not sure I align with any of it because it's gotten so radical. It, it's not certainly not moderate and not centrist. We were told Joe Biden, he's a moderate centrist. I don't think so whatsoever. He's been pulled hard left, and he stayed there since he took office. But it, it does at least raise the question, does it not, that we have, if you're familiar with the Board of Education, they are appointed by the governor, the lieutenant governor, the members of the board, and the speaker, all of whom are Republicans. Now, some of them were appointed by um, folks who held those offices prior to the present office holders, but still they were Republican as well. It just looks a little weird to me that we have members of a board of this, in terms of, of dollars, largest agency in the state, state dollars that is, consumes half of our general fund, appointed by Republicans, yet we end up with a Democrat running the department. This looks a little odd to me, but again, I'm reserving judgment because the man's not in on the job yet. Uh, he deserves the opportunity to get seated and, and start performing. I did read a, a paper that Dr. Taylor wrote, and it's a 17-page paper, very well written. Uh, it was an article, and and he, he was, by the way, he was a co-author with three other authors. The, anyhow, the title of the paper, College Social Experiences Between First-Generation Students and Other Students Enrolled in a STEM Discipline at a Historically Black College and University. And I reviewed it, and I, I'm not really sure I understand what the purpose of this paper is, what its goal is, and what we are to take from it that is actionable. I really couldn't understand it. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a classic statistical type analysis that includes... Uh, mean, standard deviation of the mean, co uh, confidence interval calculations, etc. I mean, these are these are fairly standard in any sort of statistical analyses where you're uh, observing and and uh, trying to analyze a population, if you will. In this case, it would be a very narrow population. Those would be students enrolled in a STEM discipline at an HBCU. Fascinating, however, 
the outcome. I just don't know the results of the analysis. I'm just not sure what's actionable about it. But we will certainly take a look. And the article, this paper, it, it does have some hints, at least, of CRT in it. And uh, that is disturbing. I will also say that a couple of segments ago, I called upon our legislature to take action to prohibit this radical gender ideology from, from being thrust on our students, certainly in the elementary schools. And a friend of mine, whom I respect quite a bit, is wise, said something that causes a pause that maybe those are things that should be decided at the district level. That, that is uh, fair enough. Uh, and, and I generally agree with that. The, the concern I have is that, and the reason I would maybe depart from that a bit, and I don't want the state to be so overbearing dictating and mandating what districts should do. I, I think there's got to be some nuance there and some, uh, some clear thought and reflection before doing so, so that the districts are more autonomous. I completely agree with that. But there's some things that, if they're sort of part of the curricula, which is set to a great extent by the Department of Education, that the legislature should act. Now, on the other hand, you would think that since the Board of Education, which governs the Department of Education, is appointed by the three of the highest level leaders, uh, the three highest level leaders in the state, that being the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the house, that they would appoint people who would for the most part align with their philosophy and their vision that they would be in contact with them and they would govern accordingly, and it, which is an advise and consent role and approval role, right? So, and I would certainly expect that curricula or a standard curriculum that is adopted and passed down from the state level down to the district level would be part of that. And if that's not happening, then I would ask Rhino, if you look at the org chart of the Department of Ed, what the hell are all those assistant superintendents doing? Because there's a bunch of them, and they're all highly compensated. And half their titles, I'm not even sure what they mean and what they do. And I think other folks have raised this concern as well. It's, oh, yeah. It does appear to be quite bloated at the top. Well, the certainly the position that, well, stuff like that needs to be decided at the district level, and I'm not, not being argumentative necessarily about that, but it does make you question, then why do we need all these people at the Department of Ed? What are they doing? And that costs a lot of money, but it um, seems to be extremely bureaucratic. I also have a concern that those on the board maybe are not is uh, familiar with the what has become and evolved into a, a, almost its own parlance in education, that they start using language and terminology, etc. And these folks on the board may be, I don't know, just out of deference to those that are more familiar with that because they're involved in it every day. They 
vote, govern, and advise accordingly. Not sure. Just It's just a thought. Because that is happening for sure. We're stepping aside for a break on middays. Final segment this hour. And then Ricky Matthews at 1220. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. talking a little Boston. Yeah, man. Boston. <laughs> exactly. Go pack your cat, have it yet. <laughs> we are back in the Element Wealth Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, middays, the C Spire tax line, 601-879-4395. Now, we talked yesterday about uh, polls showing that Americans intend to spend less this holiday season and to donate less to charity. And one of the things that, of course, is really hitting the pocketbook hard is the cost of energy, and in particular in the colder regions of the country. That's causing a big old problem. There are reports that they're elderly folks in, in parts of the Northeast that are not turning on their heaters, which are powered by uh, heating oil, which is extremely expensive, way up this year, and are hunkering down with layers of blankets. But the President, Joe Biden, says, hang in there, folks, I got a plan to combat this grueling inflation. Here we go. Windows. 500 for new doors, 2,000 to install a heat pump, 600 to replace electric panels. These are what, the, here's what this means. If you're living in a home with a drafty windows and doors starting January 1, you'll be able to save up to $1,100 in the cost of replacing them. And that's just on the upgrade. You're also going to save a lot of money going forward because your utility bills are going to be lower. And that's good for your wallet, but it's also good for the environment because you're using less energy. That's not all. If you want to install solar panels on the roof, you can get a tax credit for 30% of the cost. It'll bring down the cost of installation by about $7,500. And when you get to keep savings money on your electric bills for the remainder of the year... (laughs) You just have to pause for a second, right? Try to let it sink in. Why does he end every statement like this? Because he's unsure of where it's going. I think that's right. So there you go, folks. The cavalry is coming. Just rush out and buy you a a new water heater and electric panel and appliances. You'll save (laughs) $7,500, (laughs) 30%. Insulation. Which, I mean, even by that bath, that's what, $23,000, $24,000? (laughs) 
<laughs> Who's looking to spend that on installing solar panels in the wintry northeast where, oh, that's right, you got snow! <laughs> Pretty just... sure it snow covers up the solar panels. Or when it's snowing, there's clouds. It It's hard to fathom, honestly, that he would have the gall to go to the country and say, yeah, you you got to go spend thirty grand. We're going to give you seventy five hundred bucks to towards it. That'll take care of everything. That's just amazing. And sadly, I'm afraid a lot of people eat that crap up. They really because do. Because it's saving the environment. Ah, I got you. Well, I know one thing that's driving the price of stuff up. That's shoplifting. Forbes published an article yesterday. We all pay for this. This is from the National Retail Security Survey. Stated that what's called organized retail crime, ORC, the acronym, cost $100 billion last year. $100 billion is what retailers absorbed. And it's organized crime. It's causing it. Oh, yeah. If you ever see something on the the Facebook marketplace that looks like it's just a little too good to be true, it's more than likely either a scam or stolen. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's just one example of the fleecing. The most prevalent. I mean, you have others on Instagram doing the same thing. You've got people on Twitter and TikTok doing the same thing, where it's these organized groups that will gang rush a store, take everything they can, and then sell it online. Well, you remember we, profit. we shared last week when Target announced earnings. Target, the huge retailer, said that uh, they had $400 million in shrinkage last year, most of which was the result of theft. $400 million. So when you go to the store and shop, there's a part of that that's built into the price of what you're paying. $400 million. Yet, are we hearing anything out of the left? Denials. Denials, right. So, it's it's not left. happening. Right, it's not Antifa's happening. Antifa's not real. Right. And then, the you remember the young Mostly black lady, protesters. the video from her we played last year. These are reparations. They want to take a Gucci purse. Well, they deserve it. It's, a rep- it's reparations. It is time for Super Talk News and Fox News here on Middays. Coming right back with more, we've got Ricky Matthews. We're going to discuss the Twitter debacle at 1220. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Hour three of middays with Ricky Matthews scheduled to come on the program. At 1220 in the next segment, go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. By the way, we are staring down the possibility of a a rail. Hmm. 
a rail strike, the largest rail union, rejected, just last evening, I believe, rejected the latest offer, and that is stoking fears of a strike, and that could cause some supply chain problems. Just as we were about to get things back to normal in the supply chain, the old rail strike folks say it's time to go on strike, or the rail union, pardon me. They say it may be time to go on strike. They're not happy with the rates of pay, health, welfare, other fringe benefits. It's just incredible. It really is. It's incumbency, I'm telling you. Too easy. And I'm not sure that this situation is going to improve, although when you see what we reported earlier, 2,700, I believe, laid off at United up in Tupelo, right? Yeah, that's the number Mr. being Figure. reported. Well, and we, we hate to see that. Don't want to see anybody unemployed lose their job. There's no good time to do it. It's especially painful, of course, when it's around the holidays. There's no doubt about that. But the tight labor market, and, and if there is a silver lining there, it is a, that it is a tight labor market. And so those that are losing their jobs at United certainly have a better chance of landing employment elsewhere in this tight labor environment than in the past, where that wasn't the case, where we had too many workers chasing fewer jobs, and it's just the opposite now. But there, I don't think we've seen the end of this. I think we're seeing sluggishness in the economy, and, and though earnings have been decent, it has been earnings season the last month, starting with the big techs and all the way through the retail, the banking sector, etc., construction, housing, they've all come in, for the most part overall, either equal to expectations or slightly better, but across the board, as part of their earnings reports, they are also required to issue guidance. Just give us your outlook. Tell us where you see the comp- how you see the company performing in the next uh, year at a minimum. Often they focus on the next quarter, but they also give guidance beyond just the next quarter. And they report quarterly, and they provide guidance quarterly. But anyhow, in this latest, most recent latest round of quarterly earnings reports, virtually all are issuing, issuing negative guidance, meaning they're not optimistic about sales and profitability in the future. And that typically translates into shedding of expenses. We've already seen just a rash of layoffs announced across the tech sector, Meta, Amazon, Oracle, Salesforce, there are a number of others as well. And, and so I think high interest rates and the reduction of uh, housing activity certainly has to translate over to uh, less than favorable sales in the furniture industry. I'm sure that those are related. Furniture sales are, I think, directly tied to folks moving into new houses or just selling an old house, moving into not necessarily a brand new house, but an existing home. So a lot of that just shuffling around. 
I think serves as a catalyst for furniture uh, sales and purchases. There's no rocket science involved in that, but when, when that industry starts to moderate and temper, well then that, of course, has an impact. Of course, the left doesn't see any sort of relationship like that in the economy. Some may refer to that as trickle-down, which is really not a, an official economic principle, but the left, of course, doesn't believe in that there's any relationship like that. There's money falls out of the sky and all these big corporations, they're just instantly and permanently wealthy. And golly, Robert Reich, I follow him on Facebook, and he is, was just once again just calling for a millionaire's tax and a billionaire's tax, and a, I mean, just all about wealth and income inequality and the wealth gap and all that stuff, and refuses to accept that uh, those who really hit it big economically in this country did so because they provided enormous economic value and they attracted consumers to buy what they sell. It's just simple as that, because they get value out of it, and they're okay with parting with their money for it. But this rail strike is certainly a concern, and we'll see where that goes. Gary and Meridian on the ceasefire tax line, if Mississippi has to recognize and accept other states' laws on marriage, California, etc., then it can be considered an assault on traditional religion. Disagree with you on that, Gary? I, I think the key there is if the law forces a religious institution to recognize it, to perform, let's say, marriage ceremonies for same-sex marriages, yeah, I would agree that that is overstepping and uh, should, should not be codified into law. But just recognizing it for legal purposes, such as filing a tax return and uh, insurance, inheritance, property, ownership, etc. I, I don't really think that that infringes or imposes on religious rights. I happen to believe that a private company has the right to sell to whomever they want uh, at whatever price the buyer and seller can agree to, and that any invasion into that transaction is overstepping on the part of the government. And thus, I don't want the government forcing a, a bakery to bake a cake for a same-sex marriage if they choose not to. They should be able to refuse that. Now, if, they've, if, it's some, if it's embedded in some sort of contract or it is a, a uh, prerequisite for licensing in the state, as, as, as duly passed by state government, that's, that's a different scenario. But if it's not, and clearly baking a cake is not, there's no licensing for that, well, then they shouldn't be forced to do so, in my view. No, no different than the consumer shouldn't be forced to do, to do business with a particular seller. Uh, let's see... Larry McGee, it's a good rule to live by never use an extension cord that is smaller the same size as a cord on the device. Oh, that wasn't for me. Okay, sorry about that, Larry. That was previous. I've got to scroll down. It's like the Bible teaches we are living in the last days. Some people are becoming evil nowadays, actually many people. Yeah, I actually don't believe that. I don't believe we're... 
um, living in last days? And uh, that's a complicated discussion and debate. And we had a text on that yesterday, uh, Rhino. I, and, I, and the reason I say that is because I'm, I'm, there's so many references to time in the Bible. I'm not sure, and in fact, I don't believe we truly understand God's concept of time. I think it would be uh, awfully arrogant, I think, and pretentious on our part to assume we do. I don't. I just don't think we do. So I, I, I've I've always thought. Well, the test for that should be: Are you willing to go down, let's say, to the maternity ward at your local hospital and say, "Look, it's in days. Don't have that baby. Baby's not going to have a world to grow up in. It's over." Not. Not. I don't think like that. I really don't. I think our best days ahead. I, I think it's important to think that way. And I've always thought that you have to visualize where you'd like to see life going, humanity going, the world going, your own life going. You have to visualize it. You have to believe it in your heart. And then you have to make an effort and work towards that. And I think just miring and depression and, hey, it's over, I, I don't think that really improves the quality of life on earth here. And I think God expects us to do that. That's just my opinion. I'm just sharing that. But I, I appreciate yours as well. Uh, Gary, a high school in North Mississippi has litter boxes in the restrooms for a group of girls that identify as cats. That's from Sign Gypsies Itawamba Monroe. I've seen that ascribed to districts across the country, and I've yet to see photographic evidence, which you would expect there would be photographic evidence of something like that. Uh, right. That would go viral in a hurry, just by the kids themselves, right? But if you've got some something else that would, uh, uh, I guess, verify that, please send that to us. That sounds crazy, but no proof of that. Coming back with Ricky Matthews. Stay with us. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi Middays. So we're waiting to connect up with Ricky Matthews, and we'll uh, continue to Rhino's continuing to work on that, trying to figure out what we got going on there. So uh, on the ceasefire text line, Richard from Columbus says, "I hate to say this, but the big man upstairs is about." had enough of this crazy crap going on. California is about due for a huge earthquake. They are already sitting on shaky ground. The state will destroy itself. And that was, I think, when we were talking about the 
the uh, hospital, the Children's Hospital in San Francisco, that is performing uh, gender-affirming care to minors. Of course, you know we have a clinic at uh, UMC as well, and and they're they exist across the the country. I mean, it's it's become a huge medical practice. It's become an industry treating gender dysphoria and gender-affirming medical treatment. And it's, it's expensive, too. You recall Vanderbilt University Medical Center? We shared with you on the air here a uh, the sound from a video that was uh, taken by an attendee at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, an, an attendee to a session conducted by one of the higher-ups at the medical center where they were discussing the uh, the hospital's gender affirming care services and was uh, pulled no punches about how lucrative it can be from the initial surgery all the way through the continuing care that is required i believe she said rhino you you got to do this for life that's what makes it so so lucrative and so profitable is that once you start Mutilating a body like that pretty much needs some form of care permanently to maintain. And that, of course, costs money. It's amazing how, I mean, we've been talking about it a lot here on the program, and I do it just to expose it. I think people should know this is the stuff going on, especially in our schools. Indoctrinating and grooming our young people. It's it's a it's a huge cultural shift. Now maybe it's a fad that dies out, kind of like the lobotomy stuff did. You were talking about right now. I'm not sure, but right now, and it and it's kind of flying under the radar. It's not getting a lot of attention, but it's it's pervasive. And. I, you know, I draw the line with the kids, with the children. I just think that's that's crazy to even have those discussions with kindergartners and elementary school kids. It's despicable, honestly. And it robs them of their short time as children where they should not have to worry about stuff like that. It shouldn't just be pinging in their brain. It's... um. I think it's just terrible. Let's see here. The uh, yeah, folks are weighing in on these layoffs. Twenty-seven hundred we talked about earlier at United Furniture Industries at Tupelo, and that announcement came overnight in the form of an email to all employees. Really, um, really disturbing, and you just have to believe that they tried to. Tried to make it work, and, and this was in accordance with the email that was released. It, this was communication ordered by the board of directors of that private company. And you've got to believe that they've been trying to make the, the economics work and just, just couldn't. Don't have any details to support that theory, but the fact that it was so abrupt like that, your benefits are terminated, you're paid through the last day of work, et cetera, but effective today, you're no longer employed, except for the truck drivers who were out on the roads that 
they expect to all be in by the end of the week. It's, uh, it's, it's terrible to see that sort of stuff. And then you have to wonder how much of that is a function of bad fiscal policy. I'll just go ahead and say it. By Joe Biden. And we should not leave out the fact that there was, I think, some bad decisions made during the COVID outbreak that shut the dang economy down. And uh, that led to the Trump administration and, and Trump's last year, some $6 trillion of spending, including the CARES Act, another just under a trillion dollar bill. I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it was a coronavirus relief bill prior to the big CARES Act, $2.2 trillion, which included the PPP loans and the unemployment benefits, enhanced Obamacare subsidies, the order that no one could be removed from the Medicaid rolls uh, if they're no longer eligible for those benefits, etc. I mean, it's just a long list of and all sorts of money that went to schools and states and to deal with it. But, and I do think that is a contributor to the inflation, which has caused the Fed to increase interest rates, which has caused the slowdown in the housing market, which then affects industries that are related, such as the furniture industry. It's a function of 7% mortgage rates and a 4% plus change and change prime rate, Fed funds rate. Prime rate's higher than that. That's the Fed funds rate. Prime's six or so, I think, right now. But, but all of that is a factor in uh, slowdown, economic slowdown. And that's what the Fed wants. They're trying to slow down the economy so as to temper inflation and cool it. Uh, that's the tool they have, raise interest rates so that you don't buy as much. And companies, they want companies to let people go so they don't have money to go spend, literally. That's the, that's the goal. That's the tool that they have to uh, address inflation. The president, on the other hand, says, don't worry, because in January you can go buy yourself some solar panels, and therefore your cost of electricity and energy will go down, you just need, what, 30, 40 grand to do that. We're going to give you a, uh, a piece of that. We're going to reimburse you for some, what, 30% of that, I believe. Yeah, it's brilliant strategy. And so that's why it got the name Inflation Reduction Act, which does not address inflation and, in fact, ignores the true definition of inflation, which is too many dollars chasing too few goods. But any sort of fiscal policies that would promote and boost supply are just off the table, always have been to the Democrats and the left. Because that means that companies might make more money because they're selling more. They don't consider the fact that they sell more at a lower price, and it forces them, which is what vibrant free markets do, to seek more efficient business models. That's how it works. We all benefit from that. It's called productivity. That's how real wealth is created. It's not created by stupid tax credits for solar panels, by the way, for which we have no money. 
They always tend to forget that. And the idea that in this lame duck session, which we're in now, before the next Congress is seated in January, that they're even considering some goofy spending bills. You heard that from Congressman Michael Guest yesterday. With what? We don't have any money. They don't function and operate their financial affairs the way you do in your house, where you have to check your bank account before you make those purchases. Well, let's see. Can I afford this? Yes or no? And, and that's, that's a typical point of anguish in American households. Constantly having to make those tough financial decisions. Because you have limited money, but when you don't have limited money, as they tend to think is the case, you just print more and go into more debt because you just want to spend more money on some ideological cause, well then you just do that. Incredible. Really is. We're looking for Ricky Matthews. We're coming right back here on Middays. we got half an hour left in the Element Well Studios. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. So I said United was in Tupelo. I think they're actually in some of the uh, locations in some of the towns around the Tupelo area, the northeast area. Uh, I think they're headquartered in Tupelo. In Lee County, that's my understanding as well, yeah. So uh, anyhow, we're talking about them because they are a furniture manufacturer who has uh, announced last night they're terminating the employment of their 2,700 employees. Is that all 2,700 in Mississippi? Is that your understanding of it? Uh, yeah, and apparently it is the Nettleton location. Okay, the Nettleton, which is, what, 30 minutes or so from Tupelo? Up in North Mississippi? Northeast Mississippi? Yeah. Hmm. Really hate to hear it. Should a business be on the ceasefire text line? Should a business be able to refuse service to someone because of the color of their skin if it's against their religious beliefs? Well, I'm going to say again that I support the notion that a business should be able to do business with whomever they want. I, they don't need a reason, in my view, to refuse it. I can tell you that in my business career, we actually had customers that I shouldn't say customers, 
prospective customers that unusually, and I say unusually because in our world it's it's outbound sales, and nobody calls you and says, hey, I want to buy that sophisticated technology. It's, it's outbound, right? But um, we had been contacted in my career. I can think of a couple of cases where we had been approached by uh, customers that had an interest in pursuing a relationship with us, and uh, just it was because they were not happy with their their present partner that did what we did. And when I did some investigation, found out, okay, I get it. It's it's you, not the, my competitor, the the other partner, and uh, we we passed. Now that wasn't because of any religious beliefs or anything else. It was a business decision because we didn't think they'd be in the best interest of our company as a customer. I mean, sometimes you cut people off because they don't pay you timely. Had to do that, too. And we only did business with businesses. Some of these were large businesses that just drugged their feet, just slow-paying. And it's like, look, we can't do anymore. I can't. I'm not in the financing business. That just happens. So you see how complicated it gets, and how it, you can start pointing to all sort of other stuff. Well, you only cut me off because of my my race or my political beliefs or some craziness like that, right? Well, no, it's because you don't pay. I can remember a couple that were abusive to my employees, and that happens. And, uh, you know, the, it's rare, honestly. We got Ricky. All right. We got Ricky Matthews. Ricky. Hey, man. Hey, buddy. Hey. Can you, you hear me okay? That's a lot better, yeah. You could probably cut it down just a little bit. A little hot, but uh, we got you now. Yeah. Yes. Hey, listen, I'm very, very sorry that I didn't join you a few minutes ago. I had a little family emergency. Everything's okay. But, okay, good. Uh, I'll explain to you when we get off the air. No problem whatsoever, but glad that yeah. you got that worked out and uh, happy to have you join Middays. We, uh, we wanted to talk to you today. I know you've been following the saga of uh, Elon Musk <laughs> and Twitter, and it seems like there are new developments every day on that front. What's the latest from your perspective? What do you think about all that? Well, you, you know, I tell you, isn't it interesting how hyper-focused they are on Twitter? I'm saying, you know, mass media compared to cuts that are being made in other organizations like Amazon and others. But uh, I'm still basically where you and I were before. You know, it's a, I was actually looking at some of their, some of the data that I can get hold, that I can actually find about what some of these uh, some of these cuts are doing to the company from a financial perspective, yeah, and uh, you know what what the latest is, but you know what I think I think he is pretty clear what you and I talked about before that Elon Musk came into a an extremely fat organization, probably clumsy tactically and uh, strategically. They were really hyper focused on moderation. They hadn't they hadn't figured it out. Um, they had costs out the kazoo. Did you see where one of the cuts that they were making that he wanted to make was a billion dollars in infrastructure? Did you see that? I did not. Um, 
I mean, it's a, it's incredible when you start to look at some of the requirements that he's asked his uh, team to look at. But you're talking about you know a uh, billion dollars in infrastructure costs he wants to cut from. from are, you, are you talking about the organization? Are you talking about IT infrastructure? Yes, yes, and this has to do with server costs and other other costs that they had just run out of control. And um, I also was trying to figure out, okay, when, when there was a, on a there was an earnings call that happened before Elon Musk took over, where you may see you may have heard they were trying to cut twenty five percent of the workforce. And I was trying to figure out what's the value of fifty percent of the workforce or seventy five percent of the workforce on an annualized basis, and that's. Twenty five percent of the workforce would have been eight hundred million dollars. Yeah. So if you look at just fifty percent, you're talking about one point six billion that they're going to cut from the organization, and then uh, you know they they I think two hundred seventy million lost in the first quarter, so they were on track to do a billion dollars of loss this year. <laughs> but you know he may get most of the way there through some of the cuts that he's making. Now look, you and I both know when you go in and cut fifty percent of the workforce. Or maybe seventy-five percent of the workforce, the institutional knowledge that you're losing is gigantic. But I think what he decided was this organization was so troubled and so not focused on making money that he's going to change the culture in one fell swoop. It's going to be short-term pain for long-term gain, and uh, that's where that's where that's where he is right now. It's easy to operate a company as a social justice warrior activist when the bottom line is black as hell. But it ain't so easy when it's red. Then all of a sudden, oh, geez, we actually got to make a profit here. And I think that's the reckoning that we're seeing here, Ricky. And it's not just Twitter. I think you're right. I, I, think, that, I think that Twitter had forgotten what it was. First of all, it's a company that needs to make money. And if you if you go back and look at some of the early interviews that Elon Musk had, you know he's he really he's really focused on trying to make Twitter much more than Twitter. He he wants it to be an e-commerce site. He wants it to be about yes. video. He wants all these other elements to it. But he comes into this incredibly fat company. That you're right. I mean, they were so hyper focused on moderation, and you you're, you're right too. If you look at a lot of the moderation issues they were having. It, there was a lot about social justice. I mean, this this most of the employees have become incredibly entitled, and they were acting accordingly. And yeah. so, you know, when when he says sign the pledge to work hard, you can see the pushback he's getting. But you know, he did the same thing at Tesla. He he said the same things at Tesla. You're going to have to work hard. He said that Tesla could file bankruptcy at one point, as you know, when they were doing mass production, they had all kinds of issues. He literally slept at the factory for weeks. Um, this is, uh, this is pretty much from his toolkit, and the reality is he knew he had to change a culture, and he wasn't going to do it incrementally. He had to go in there and profoundly change that company and focus it where it needed to be focused. And it's amazing the amount of cost that had been built into this company around the world, really. Yeah. Um, and now you know the reckoning has happened. And you bring his vision with these cuts, that believe, I, I, believe me, I don't think any of what he's doing is easy. But uh, he, you know, as we said before, he may actually pull it off. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure uh, at this point if just cutting expenses is sufficient for this company to remain uh, viable and certainly to achieve uh, any kind of measurable growth. There's the revenue side of that as well, and and I, 
I know you know a lot more about that uh, when you think about advertising being your main source of revenue, which is, is, is uh, of course, core to the media business. I'm just not sure it's there if that works. What do you think? Well, it's going to, it will be interesting. You know, about 90% of his current revenue stream comes from advertising. Yeah. The, the other is only like 500 and something million that, that's coming from licensing agreements and things like that. But, you know, he said in one of his interviews, he alluded to WeChat, which is a Chinese platform that you, you probably have heard about. But yep. it is, uh, that's why he refers to the, this effort as AppX. He kind of likes that X as in SpaceX. One of his kids is named X. Yeah. But, uh, but he calls this AppX. What he's going to do is he's going to develop a super app that he's going to use. The I mean, you think about, you know, okay, other companies can go do this. But the reality is they have 238 million active users. Right. And that's the, the value. In the second quarter of 2000. Dude, that's a lot. Hold on for and, a break. Um, we'll, they've we'll lost finish. about a million. Hold on for yeah. a break, Ricky. We're coming back. We'll continue this discussion. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Ricky Matthews, host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors, is our guest talking about Twitter and Elon Musk. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, we've got Ricky Matthews, the host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors, as our guest, talking about Twitter, Elon Musk. So you like the chances. I I, I, I can just sense it, uh, your, Ricky. Your attitude is that there's a new sheriff's in, in town in the C-suite there, and uh, making all the right moves. Had this 1 o'clock in the morning meeting. He did. I'm sure you saw the tweets on that and uh, had several of the engineers around him. Uh, my experience working in that world, uh, that's when engineers do their best works, 1 o'clock in the morning, honestly. <laughs> but I Listen, think. Listen, the bottom line is I think, I think Twitter was a poorly led company yeah. that needed uh, transformation. And it, you know, when you think about this whole notion of moderation and how they determine who's going to be on and off the platform and who gets to say why this whole notion of free speech is in a really important conversation and as you and i discussed before free speech is not you can't just say anything there are laws around that but he's going to open up the kimono as you and i discussed the last time we talked the black boxes he discusses is going to be there for everybody to see the open source around that yeah so this notion of moderating it you know behind some kind of uh, steel curtain where no one could really understand the choices that were being made about who could be on and who could be off and what could be said and what can't be said. He said, when someone you, you don't like says something you don't like, then he'll know that that uh, we've gotten to where we need to be. It's, it's okay for us to disagree. And the reality is they're going to, they're going to, he's going to let free speech be free speech. And that, and that bothers a lot of people, but it's just the reality of what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the situation with burning the American flag. I don't like that. I would never do it. I don't condone it. But I support their right to do it. I mean, that's the nuance aspect of this that we've just lost in our society. We don't 
seem to. It does. We can't. You know what's interesting? You know, I, I, there's a reality that you and I can't discuss something because if we say something that doesn't agree with the other side, suddenly we're left winger or we're right winger. We can't bring our own point of view to the conversation. And there are a lot, there were a lot of people in in in, in uh, the Twitter organization that were involved in moderation that was literally trying to change the conversation, trying to force an agenda on the rest of America. And uh, and I think by by doing what they're going to do, it's actually going to it's, it's going to turn the, the mirror on Facebook and some other organizations and say, you know, we expect this happened in Twitter. Now it's working the way it's supposed to work. We expect you to do the same thing. I think it's going to make a big difference. And incidentally, by the way, you know, of the 400,000 uh, verified accounts that they have, if you were to monetize 250,000 of those, that's only $24 million a year. So I think when he started looking at the numbers, he said, look, let's don't, we're not going to focus on that right now. It's not enough money to make a difference. We're going to focus on costs. And then, as I mentioned before, we went to trap, you know, before the, the, the break, is that, you know, video chat and messaging and streaming and payments like, like the WeChat. Look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of competition in that space. Google and Snapchat and uh, TikTok and Uber, they're all trying to go there. But when you got a visionary like, like uh, Elon Musk behind you, they're going to be much more than the Twitter we see today. It, and their revenue streams are going to be incredibly diversified when this is all said and done. I would say, given his track record and his, his just uh, ability to innovate and sort of see around the corner, which is all, what all good innovators uh, possess, uh, he's thinking of something that's a twinkle in his eye right now that we can't even comprehend. And when I believe you're right. So if Twitter survives, it's because he will have transformed it in that way and will not rely on their traditional revenue streams. I think he's looking beyond that. Yeah, you imagine in the organization that you ran in your entrepreneurial efforts, if you had a room full of engineers that were not aligned, that were that were Couldn't do that it. were not in some central location, but all over the place, going going to whatever beat of the drummer was best for them. The reality now. They're going to be unbelievably aligned in the same way that SpaceX takes flight, in the same way that that, that Tesla has begun mass production of electric vehicles. Um, you're right. We're going to. There are things that are probably in his head today that we don't fully appreciate. But he can't begin to even do those things, even think strategically or tactically in that way, until he has an organization that is on board, willing to work hard, and aligned. And it was not aligned when he came in. And man, when you can cut a billion dollars, think about that, a billion dollars <laughs> in labor costs a year yeah, and still run that organization and have it be aligned, um, there's going to be something to watch. You know, there are a lot of people betting against him, but I think he's going to pull it off. Well, you know, this, this all started, and we're about out of time here, but Jack Dorsey had a great idea, but he's a terrible, was a terrible manager, terrible manager. <laughs> right. The worst. Right. And so he got out of the way, but he didn't really replace himself with anybody that was any better. And so now no. we're off to the races with Musk. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and uh, really appreciate you keeping up with that, Ricky, and sharing your insights on it. it it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting, and, and like I said, just fascinating to hear about, and, and fun to watch. And we got a lot more in front of us, yeah, that's for you know, sure. The, the, ramifications, the ramifications of what they're doing there are going to affect... Everything about free speech that we've ever known about in the social media world. It's I think you're deal. right. It's a good point. Ricky, good to see you. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate it. We are it. out of here today, out of time, back in the Element Well studios tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Oh.
Talk Mississippi Media Production.